Welcome to Molding Masculinity. I'm Tom McFarland, once again here with Philip Seip. And today we're going to talk about safety or lack of safety in kind of uh, masculine spaces. Uh, I think we have a lot of personal stories to share on this one. We're recording this one a uh, day later than normal, well, two days later actually than normal because of uh, my own uh, forays into this particular matter. Um, but in short, we're talking about how masculine presenting people avoid, deny, or otherwise ignore safety precautions. Am I right, Philip? Yeah, uh, I've taken to in my own head because I'm a uh, lover of fantasy and mythology, calling this the sort of Achilles uh, phenomenon. Uh, the idea that you're invincible to everything up until the point that it hits you and, and, and exposes your weakness. Uh, and then at that point, you're allowed to, uh, you know, say, uh, oh, I, I have this and I have to take safety precautions as a result. But you have to get hurt by it. Um, not that it, it does. The analogy breaks down very quickly with the story of Achilles specifically, because obviously when he finally got hit in his weak point, uh, he died because it was a poison error. But, you know, uh, no analogy is perfect, and I like having a name for it uh, because otherwise we end up taking like five sentences to explain <laughs> this weird cultural phenomenon that uh, in my experience and talking with uh, other guys about it, pretty much everyone, the minute you describe it goes like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I and I think the the calling it the Achilles, Achilles, yeah, Achilles, the Achilles phenomenon. I'm gonna mispronounce that like six more times. Uh, <laughs> I, I I think emphasizes a point of this that is kind of common that I hadn't really even thought about until you first described this to me, and that is, yeah, the once you experience the thing, then you'll like never shut up about you know that safety precaution. And I've definitely experienced that, like, and and it's something that. I think you encounter, at least I encounter a lot with older men uh, who are the, you know, who are aggressively safe about certain things and will talk your absolute ear off about how, like, well, one time I saw somebody not wearing their helmet and this is what happened. And one time I did this and this is what happened. And, I, and as I get older, I catch myself doing the same thing too. Uh, and I mean, and part of that is like a normal human. It's just how we work. Like we see a dangerous thing, you know, we see an accident happen and like, and our brain records that and we, we remember, like we remember it and bring it up every time we encounter that situation again. And that's like a survival mechanism. It makes sense. Um, but also, you know, we're intelligent human beings and we're capable of understanding that those situations are possible of existing before they exist. Um, and it seems like more feminine presenting, uh, folks and women have an easier time doing that than men and masculine presenting folks often do. Uh, yeah, for sure. And it's it's um it's it's weird exactly for what you said. It's like one of the strengths of human intelligence is that we have the ability to model things and understand processes and you know have like you know sorry the ability to do say like a scientific approach to things and understand uh you know um when someone tells you don't touch this really colorful frog it's poisonous you will die if you touch it you can be like all right well uh this you know you can go look it up if you're extra skeptical but ultimately you learn like yeah you know poison dart frogs excrete this poison you shouldn't touch them you'll die um and, you know, I don't need to touch a poison dart frog and, you know, have to go to the hospital and nearly die to prove that, you know, to, to permission not to touch a poison dart frog. Um, but for some reason, there are certain areas, particularly in areas around like labor, uh, in which, uh, you know, unless you have a story about seeing someone's hand getting ground up in a machine or something, uh, safety precautions are optional. You know, uh, you have to have a horror story to to not get um, teased or made to feel um, insufficiently masculine uh, for not wanting to put your one and only body at permanent risk of injury uh, or risk of permanent injury. I mean, um, yeah. 
and and I feel like this often, you know, even, and of course the most immediate, you know, form of this is things like you're talking about, like immediate bodily in, injury, but we also do it in other elements of, and I think this is like leads us to what kind of feeds into a lot of this is things that are mitigating just simple displeasure, you know, like unpleasurable experiences. Like my wife, I mentioned this to my wife the other day that we were going to do this topic and she brought up, Hey, I remember when we first started dating and you told me that you don't have an umbrella and never have had an umbrella because you're not afraid, like you're not afraid to get wet. Like what I, I'm, a, I'm a man. I can handle being damp from rain and uh and how goofy that was and it's like yep yep i definitely did that uh, yeah it manifests in a lot of small things like i feel like uh the most common ones like uh not not willing to put like a a band-aid on to a small cut or something like that and like i don't need a band-aid i'm tough um, <laughs> just give me a bottle of vodka and a stick to bite on yeah it's like okay well okay i'm glad you know Stephen, that you're super tough and that you don't need a band of your cut, but also like, uh, infections are real. <laughs> don't, don't get your finger cut off because you wanted to prove that you could, you know, still operate a buzzsaw with a, with a cut on your finger or something. It's just, yeah. So it's a, it's a weird phenomenon. It's one that I think has a lot of consequences and I'm looking forward to sort of exploring that today. Yeah. And, and so before all of these episodes, we tried to do a lot of research, or at least you tried to do a lot of research and uh, diving <laughs> into these topics. Um, and uh, this one was a particularly difficult one to do that, at least I found on my end. Uh, you know, I found a few uh, studies. I, I, I have at least one study. Uh, I need to dig that up and see if I can't post that on the Facebook group. And uh, a TED talk that I'll definitely share here later on on our Facebook page or Facebook group. But um, this is a one like part of what it makes this a little bit harder to study in my experience out there is that uh, the the idea of safety is extremely clouded in companies that specialize in selling safety to labor institutions. Because, I mean, that's where, like, a lot of this comes into play is in labor, like, you know, and especially when you start discussing safety, uh, specifically when you start discussing safety in the workplace, a lot of focus gets put on work, you know, on OSHA-related things. So on construction sites, on uh, in factories, in those kind of spaces is really where everybody is talking about safety, and it's never from really scientific organizations talking about this it's usually places that are selling certain safety programs to companies and that made it a really muddy river to kind of try to get through to find really good and you know like really solid science on the matter in my experience yeah i had a very similar uh, struggle in that like you know sort of my approach for a lot of these topics has been like you know i'll first like kind of you know ping uh some male friends and being like hey uh you know do you experience this like what's kind of your like try to get some sort of like uh, anecdotal sense of like you know is this something that that you know is just my individual experience or is this something that's like broadly experienced by the male population uh uh just you know getting an intuitive sense of it and then like once i kind of have some uh some uh some broader understanding from from anecdotes of like you know how how some of these things have manifested in people's lives i'll use that to sort of focus and, and look at studies and find things um and it was just super weird in that like every single person i talked to about it was like i 100 percent know what you mean i have at least three or four stories about how this thing has manifested in my life um three or four big stories uh, along with a handful of like minor experiences, like not wanting to wear band-aid or whatever. Uh, and every single person I talked to was like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's definitely a thing. And then just um, maybe my Google foo here is weak, um, but man, I, it is just impossible to find any like scientific analysis of any kind on this sort of thing. I, I, I think it's largely, I mean, it's, it's probably a combination of the fact that it's a difficult thing to measure. Like, 
someone doesn't comply with safety thing well you know they were reckless well reckless for what reason like is not something that um get is, is easy is easy to explore and involves a lot of like like if you if you're to even try to do it there's like a lot of like fuzzy self-reporting that would have to go on that would make it you know call into question the solidity of the and replicatability of the data like anyway so i say i get the impression that a lot that this is just a thing that's really difficult to study but i think we all kind of know that it's a thing that men struggle with and um in particular around areas where um, work and labor is involved um because i have yet to talk to anyone uh that doesn't immediately know what I'm discussing, even though there's no name for it. There's no, I have to sit here and describe like, you know, the kind of carve out in, in, in conceptual space, the, um, the idea I'm trying to capture here. And then once I kind of like finish my description, you know, the fact that every single uh, guy I've talked to has been like, oh yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's a hundred percent a thing, uh, and seems to un like understand immediately. Suggests to me that there's something real here. I think it's I think it's largely at the cultural level. I don't think that it's something that is maybe even studyable in a very direct scientific scientific way. It's sort of a very specifically a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, I think you're right, and I mean it's. As we both alluded to, it really it feeds into so many issues in labor and in the workplace. And you know, and, and one of the things that we've really seen lately, where this has been kind of taking place on the more mainstream uh, platform of things going on in our world, has been with the uh, with labor disputes, with the union strike in Topeka for the Frito Lay Company, the union strike in Alabama with miners who are uh, right now they're actually striking in New York City and Manhattan for coal workers in Alabama because that's where like the factory or where the like company that owns the factory is located but uh and and, and so along with the, tied into those you have workers who are working 12 hour days 7 days a week or 16 hour days 7 days a week striking or you know striking or protesting about their working conditions and you'll have a lot of uh conversation online and and elsewhere about how well i work 100 hours a week and if you don't work 100 hours a week you need to just you know sit down and be quiet because real men work all the time of the day and it, it becomes like this like as we've mentioned before i think we mentioned it was something else we've having an, an, an olympics of 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 uh you know bad things happening to you but this is again it's very much a, like you know, it begins an olympic sport of who can be exploited the most because that's the most masculine thing to do and that's like it, it all of this all of this and this is why when we talk about and, and something else i want to kind of you know blip on all of this is that when we talk about toxic masculinity we're not just like that's not just a a buzzword we're using it as to, we're describing maladaptive behaviors things that we do that we tie to masculinity that actively damage us in the long run and this is an, a prime example of one working 100 hours a week because it's the masculine thing to do damages in the, is, uh, damages us in the long run not wearing a respirator on a factory floor when you're working with chemicals because I'm a, I'm tough, because it's the masculine thing to do, actively damages us in the long run. That is active toxic masculinity. It's you're, it's damaging to your existence to do it, and there's no reason to do it. Yeah, toxic masculinity as a phrase, I feel like um, ha has been, um, you know, very misunderstood and I think often intentionally misrepresented by people that either want to cast it as just like, um, you know, a social justice buzzword or um, I think in some cases uh, organizations that are actively um, profiting or benefiting from, uh, you know, people having this attitude that, 
are not are one to misrepresent it to make it uh, a thing to ignore that 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 really focuses on masculinity part of that phrase and wants to make it seem like uh, oh you know anyone who's uh, against toxic masculinity is against masculinity itself uh, as if like they want to make it as if like what we're saying is masculinity is toxic instead of that there are toxic parts of masculinity that cause harm to men and uh you know that that is what toxic masculinity actually is it's it's evaluating what are the things that we think are like make someone a real man that are actually like suck <laughs> that are that are hurtful or damaging to us and i think this is a great example of that of like this idea that like um you know uh you know, we should just like completely sacrifice ourselves uh, to um, get the job done in a sort of like all capital letters sort of uh, um, sense, sort of get the job done, a trademark. Um, but like, I think there's, you know, I think evaluating who benefits from that actually, um, because it often really hurts the people that do it. And who who benefits from that? It's the people that own that that own the value of that labor and the additional performance that one gets. Like, I don't want to throw all self-sacrificial behavior out the window. Like, not this is not a baby of the bathwater thing. Obviously, there's a great nobility to, you know, you know, sacrificing one's own well-being for the benefit for the greater benefit of others. But I think that gets pathologized a lot of times in cases where it's really just someone who wants you to work overtime or wants you to work harder or more dangerously so that performance numbers goes up in a way that doesn't benefit the people doing it it benefit and it doesn't benefit a larger group of people either it benefits a smaller group of people in a very particular and monetizable way that you know the people that benefit from a bunch of men going around being like, I don't got to be safe. I just got to get this job done fast, you know, are not the people doing the job. They don't get, they get paid the same regardless. It's the people that own the output of that business. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I mean, in this, this kind of, you know, through line through current events continues into our big giant umbrella of a current event of COVID. Um, so much of in my own workplace, uh, so much of mask wearing, resistance to mask wearing has been a male bravado attitude of, well, I'm not going to wear a mask. I don't need a little piece of cloth over me. I know that I'm healthy and I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Those being the the key phrase there, I'm not afraid. And I mean, and it's, one of the one of the fascinating things too that I I, I observe with all well, well now before I get too far down the rabbit hole in, in this I want to say that this is also I think very much a through line that exists through a lot of resistance to vaccination. Well, I'm not going to get vaccinated because I'm tough and I can handle this with my own natural body. You know, ignoring the fact that we've all had vaccinations ever since we were a kid, and that's why we don't have polio and smallpox and all kinds of you know rickets and horrifying diseases that you know used to just decimate our childhood population but uh but so an interesting element to this uh, that i see is that we often have this resistance to safety issues to to anything that protects us from something that isn't a considered a violent threat I think is the way I would like to phrase this. So by this, what I mean is the same folks in my community and the same, and, and, and I very much mean this in my community. I'm not talking about like others. These are, you know, friends and family and people I care about. The same resistance that I see this uh, attitude against, well, I'm not going to wear a mask because I'm not afraid. You'll see this attitude of, but I carry a 380 on me all the time. I wear, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I know a guy who wears uh, actual chain, like a chainmail vest underneath his shirt of like, well, yeah, if I ever get stabbed, this like will stop the blade. And it's like, okay, the likelihood that on the way to the gas station in your nice, comfortable suburb, you're going to get stabbed in the chest and have to shoot somebody is 
minusculely low. And I say this as a firearm, as, as somebody who practices, like I, I have a whole other podcast called Handy with Handguns where I talk about firearm safety and the use and carrying of firearms. I advocate for the carrying of firearms. But when we're talking about safety, we often have this hyperfixation on being super okay with certain kinds of obsessive safety paired with, you know, I'm not going to wear safety goggles when, or like safety glasses when I weed eat because I'm too masculine for that. And it is way more likely that you're going to be weed eating your yard tomorrow and you're going to hit a rock and it's going to scratch your cornea than somebody is going to run up to you at a Kmart and uh, stab you with a pocket knife. Like, one of those things is way more common than the other. And when we look in workplace scenarios, we see this same thing play out. Police, we are real quick to give every single police officer full body armor, but we're not as quick to institute masking and vaccinations in public schools. Yeah, I think in general, we have this idea of um, human violence in particular that is weighted as more a, more serious and B, more common than it actually is. For example, um, you know, I think um, obviously like police as an institution are uh, under a lot of discussion <laughs> in the wake of <laughs> the whole George Floyd thing and everything. Um, but like setting aside, you know, the larger conversation about police in general that's happening. Like one thing that has always annoyed me about the conversation is this sort of almost romantic dedication to, um, you know, the romantic idea of police, of how like they stand between us and the violent criminals and their job is so dangerous. And like, obviously being in a firefight with, you know, drug lords or whatever is dangerous. And, and that, um, you know, deserves a degree of respect for people that that do fight against those things. Um, but at the same time, it's also not the common experience of a police officer. If you look at the data of police, you know, you're going to find that a lot of very common jobs are significantly more dangerous than police as far as like where injuries and fatalities come into play. Um, measurably, um, police officer is not as dangerous a job as say like a construction worker. Um, and I don't want to get into the, the like, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into like an oppression Olympics type of competition and who has the most dangerous job. Like that's the toxic masculinity thing we're trying to fight against. But like, I do think like it, it sheds light, like even at a national level, we have, we have this like disconnect in the romantic idea of what things are dangerous and deserve um, attention and respect and safety um, and what things are, you know, just the kind of thing you got to be tough about that is completely disconnected from the actual data underlying those things. Um, you know, we, we often take safety precautions against things that are warranted and should have those safety precautions taken um, that are far less likely and far less common than things that we often just like go like, eh, whatever, you know, like be tough, you gotta take it. And it's like, well, that's not, you know, like it, taking a very sort of data and facts sort of analysis to it really shows that like, there's a lot of like weird disconnects um, in all kinds of places of things that like we just completely ignore at a cultural level of that are you know significantly more dangerous than like terrorism for example like which gets you know, has gotten a ton of attention since 2001 uh despite the fact that like there's like infinite things that are like way more common and way more deadly than terrorists um but they don't they don't it scratched that romantic itch of imagining uh, a great enemy to fight against or anything like that, that it's like, um, it's always frustrating to me as someone who likes to try to approach things from a data perspective. And it's just oftentimes like people are arguing from the point of view of like, I have this story in my head of how these things exist and play out that like is just not real. It's not connected to reality in any way. 
Yeah, and I think all of this brings us to an important element of where I would argue, and I'm arguing this, again, without without a lot of great studies or research to really back me up, because as we've already talked about that. So this is kind of an intuitive, opinion-based uh, stance that I have to take on this. But where I kind of feel like a lot of this comes from is from media, from movies, from film, from... Uh, uh, well, primarily movies and film, if we're going to be honest here. And it's something that is so endemic that like, so I, I went through media school. There's two elements of this I want to talk about. I went through media school. And in the time when I was in media school, I had uh, two of my professors or instructors, however you will, who were very frustrated by how every single student and played out inside the industry, almost every writer and director wants to focus all issues of conflict on violence. It's just how we think of conflict most often. You know, it's like every movie, the primary conflict, the primary thing that causes anybody damage or in any way is harmful or scary is violent conflict from another human being. It's that same thing if it has to be a terrorist. It has to be something big and scary that is a universal threat. It can never be small things. No, none of our superhero or, you know, superheroes or regular heroes or individuals at all in media are ever threatened, harmed, or in risk of danger from, you know, a grinder or a weed eater or uh, improper use, you know, you know, not having PPE while they're working with chemicals. Like, all of that stuff isn't relevant in our media and, in fact, is often aggressively, you know, you see a lot of media where, like, they aggressively make a big point about, like, no, I'm tough, so I don't have to do that. And, and, and I think that plays an element of it. Now, I want to talk about this also from a different direction, and this is kind of using something else as an example of when I was studying in China for my undergraduate degree. So my undergraduate minor is in Chinese language, and I, I spent some time in China studying that. Uh, and, I, and I encountered a lot of racism that existed in China. Um, there was a friend that I used to hang out with, uh, and, and, and she uh, she was black, and it happened a lot that people would be explicitly racist towards her. Like, we would go into stores and people would, like, follow her. Like, well, so, okay, I'm, I'm using this as an example, so I'm going to use the whole example here. We went into a store, and the person who ran the store was following her the whole way through the store. And between us, between the you know, little bit of Mandarin that we both knew, we kind of confronted her and asked her, like, hey, what's up? And she's like, well, I'm making sure you don't steal anything. Like, why would you think that I would steal anything? Well, because you're black. Like, have you? And then, then like, I asked her, like, have you ever met a black person? She's like, nope, never seen a black person before in my life. Why do you think that she would steal? Well, because that's what you see in the movies. And this stretched to later on when I so, you know, of course, this was like a wild experience for, you know, for her, especially afterwards, we were asking other Chinese friends of ours, like, hey, what the f what the fuck was this about? Like, uh, you know, this 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 kind of experience that you know it exists here. What is this about? And a lot of people replicating like, well, yeah, no, that's what you see in movies. All the black people in American movies are criminals. And. We often argue here in the States as to whether or not representation matters in film and cinema. And, and so that is my way of saying, like, I've seen it from firsthand experience in a country where that is extremely homogenous and doesn't have other experience that, yes, it very much affects culture. And so I think in this other very different scenario, I think it does affect our culture to a degree that we don't have variety of conflict in our media and television this isn't me saying that we need to turn all of our movies into workplace safety seminars like not at all but it's just uh you know it, it, it's a fact i don't know the way that we approach this topic in our culture feeds into how we approach it in media which then continues to feed how we approach it in culture yeah it's um i i really feel you in the the sense that like um, we have like that a lot of this is, is media fuel. Um, this has been, this has come to mind in for me and recently, and, you know, at, at, at the time we're recording this, um, the, the summer Olympics are ongoing and I was watching, um, fencing, uh, 
the fencing competition. And it struck me how um, boring. Uh, and I say that <laughs> with, uh, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was boring to watch. What I mean is like, um, compared to the romantic way that sword fighting is displayed in movies and stuff where people are like doing all these like cool, like spins and like, you know, you know, all these awesome, you know, looking moves or whatever, how, like, I guess like mundane is probably the better word, how mundane everything was. And yes. And, and now, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be jumping on this because I have a background in fencing too, but but yeah, you're you're right. You're right because economy of motion is super important in fencing, and so it is. Real life sword fighting doesn't look absolutely anything like what you see in movies. Yeah, and so like that that like like it occurred to me. It's like oh, it's like this flash of activity, and then like if they weren't wearing, you know, if they weren't playing a sport, if they were actually sword fighting, it'd be like uh, a few seconds, and like whoops, there's a hole in your shoulder, <laughs> like. You know, and you just do that five or six times and someone's, you know, badly injured enough and debilitated enough that they're probably going to die or at least lose every other exchange, you know, like. Um, and how and, and I've seen this a lot in uh, uh, like my sons both take martial arts, they take Taekwondo and there's a very big difference between Taekwondo forms and motions and stuff like that, where they're doing like that are very artistic sort of thing. And Taekwondo sparring, which is way more like, uh, you know, one strike there, a lot of positioning, a lot of like, like it's, it's so much more mundane <laughs> than all the sort of romantic ideas of all the stuff. Um, and I feel like that's, that's part of the problem is that like um, we, um, we have a lot of stories about what dangerous things look like and what, um, you know, safety and defense and protection looks like that is just not realistic. Um, the reality of the situation is that like, um, really being safe, really being, you know, um, ready to defend yourself and doing it is so much more mundane uh, than the romantic ideas that we have in movies. Um, and I understand why the movies don't do it because I mean, it's boring. <laughs> like it's not cool to, to watch, you know, like uh, a fantasy battle where someone like comes up and like just jabs someone a little bit and like a vital point And that person's like, like doubles over in pain and then just gets kind of like, boringly executed or something like that like it's much more cool to see them like jump down from a roof and like slice the guy's head off or whatever like there's like what makes a good like the, the thing thing that you have to keep in mind is like what makes a good story and what makes good life advice are very different things and that like narratives are ways that we express ourselves and they are ways that we can help that can help us to understand very complex things that are difficult to express like for example a lot of like broad society descriptions that you get into ideologies and stuff like that they have narratives about the way that things work and those narratives help bring down a very complicated thing to an understandable level you put it in sort of a story-like form about how things play out and it lets you kind of see it through a certain lens but you always have to imagine and remember that the, that is a lens. It's it's not a capturing of reality, and certainly Hollywood movies are not a capturing of reality, particularly when it comes to what things are dangerous, what safety looks like, what being a man looks like. Like these are not things that you should be taking from movies because they are there to construct an entertaining story. They are not there to be guides for intelligent well-informed living and if you are making your decisions about like how to be a man based on romantic ideas that you've gotten from books and movies you're probably going to find that that clashes with reality in some very important ways yeah a hundred percent and i mean um 
yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I, I think I, I want to kind of shift gears here because, uh, you know, we've we've hit on that a few times, and I think you are 100% right. This We have this division of reality, fact and fiction, and reality that happens along a lot of subjects, especially encompassing masculinity. This is something I talk about a lot on my other podcast, the fact that a lot of folks really get this, like, really fun like functioning attitude of how reality works regarding firearms from movies that is absolutely wrong because nobody in really involved in filmmaking knows much about firearms so they don't get things right um but but you know moving from that um some of the little bit of data and and, and studies that I did find on this subject so in talking about so you know we have a good idea of what causes this um view of the world, what causes this issue, we understand what this issue is, so let's talk about a bit about how to solve that, and we've talked a little bit about that in reckoning what reality and fiction is, but also something that came up a lot in these, uh, in the little bit of discussions I could find on this subject was that what often hurts companies when companies are trying to do this is the fact that Safety rules and regulations often come off as arbitrary and as bureaucracy. And I think, you know, and of course, this is like advice that is explicitly tailored and intended for businesses and companies and factory owners. And that's part of why I didn't want to dive into a lot of what I had actually found in like papers on this. But I do think that that's something that's applicable to people's real life, in such as to say, learn about the things that you want to do or that you do learn about things study about things and in the process of doing so don't like don't make those arbitrary rules to yourself don't you, there's no we live in a world of information and there's no reason to live in a world of arbitrary rules like i am 100% about that i loathe arbitrary rules it's part of what causes me to seek out knowledge about specific things is because I hate when things are arbitrary. Don't do that just because. No, I don't want to know why I have to, why I, I don't want to know why I should use the grinder on one specific side of the grinder and not on the other side. Like, like I don't, I don't want to do that without knowing why. It just bugs me. I don't want an arbitrary reason as to why I have to do it. But we live in a world of information. You can go look at the manufacturer's website on reasons, but that's kind of boring and lame. Go onto YouTube. Find people who are welders and grinders who are very accustomed to doing this who will very explicitly tell you why and then give you some awesome demonstrations of a grinder like shredding through pants and a like hawk of bologna and ham to show you just how much like you know, why you shouldn't do it that way like it's cutting through the rule or like cutting through the arbitrariness of safety rules involves a lot of self-education and there's like that's one of the one of the great benefits of living in the era and time that we do is that there is a massive amount of available self-education. Uh, so I guess in saying this is like, learn about the things that you do and learn about your job and don't be afraid of things. Like I have, I kind of have, you know, this has kind of came up in this episode. I have a bit of a reputation of being a uh, sort of jack of all trades. I have, I literally have like a ship's wheel tattooed over my heart. Uh, this is a very real thing. Uh, oh, that... wow. I actually didn't know that. <laughs> uh, and that is like a symbolic thing for me of the idea of the like, I control my own path and destiny. And that like that's that tattoo is my way of like telling myself that I am, I guess, a sort of jack of all trades that I want to don't be afraid to change directions and be something new at any time in any place. But anyways, so. I am about that. I'm about that idea of like, go out there and learn how to weld tomorrow. And then after you're done with that, you decide you want to learn how to make cabinets, go do that. After that, you decide you want to learn how to program, go do it. Like, seek the things out. We live only one life, and it is an amazing opportunity to be, uh, if you have the privilege to seek these kind of things and this kind of knowledge out. But in doing so, don't, you know, dive into it without taking the time to learn why safety uh, why certain safety should be put in place and then not, you know, like it's, it is mass. It, it's, it's not emasculating to be knowledgeable and to uh, take precautions. Yeah. And you like, uh, you should definitely know when exploring new things to avoid. Uh, uh, there's a famous um, psychological phenomenon called the Dunning Kruger effect. 
um, which is um, explains this phenomenon where people who are very, very well educated in a field express a lot more self-doubt and hesitancy to claim uh, confident knowledge than people who are more poorly educated. Um, and a lot of times, like just getting into something gets you right at the peak of the Dunning Kruger effect, where like you feel like you know just about everything and you're ready to tell everyone how it works. And you know, uh, you know enough to to start having some questions about why you do things a certain way. And you should always keep in mind that like you you don't want to be at the peak of the Dunning Kruger effect. Um, that's the most dangerous place to be because it's the place where people go like, I know what I'm doing here. I don't got to do this. This is unnecessary. And then they like lose their hand or something. You know, it's, it's um, have some amount of self-skepticism to always like, no, I don't know everything. It's okay. Like if I don't know why I need to do something and people who are, who are my teachers said, this is absolutely necessary. You better do that thing up until the point that you will at least learn the rationale behind it and know enough to know that that's something that you can shortcut if, if in fact you can, um, because it's, it's easy to, uh, start thinking that you're, uh, you know, invincible and nothing bad's going to happen to you because you know what you're doing. Uh, and it's kind of wrapped up in that, uh, same, same sort of phenomenon of, of thinking that, nothing bad is going to happen to you and you don't got to take precautions, you know, type of thing. Yeah, I agree. Even though that uh, you, you've kind of, you tapered what I said, but I think in a very valuable and very, and in, in very accurate way. Yeah. Like, and, and, you know, and the Dunning-Kruger effect is something I myself stumble into a lot. Um, and, 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 and yeah, you're, you're a hundred percent right. You know, have the, introspection to realize that you don't know everything especially as you're seeking out more and more things to know that generally like i i'll say this from my own experience the more things i learn the less i kind of know everything super in depth because we are a limited reservoir of information like we all only mm -hmm. know so much like um yeah yeah and we're we're, we're going to get into this in the parenting uh you know reflection uh but it's worth mentioning here that man does this stand out to you when you have children on all the ways in which like you have failed to examine some of the stuff like um uh particularly around um like say like the toughness thing um man it, it's i i still don't know if i'm doing it right you know i still have no idea if like i'm striking the right balance here of you know like i don't want to encourage my son to engage in the same sort of toxic masculinity of like i can just you know, not wear a Band-Aid or I can just, you know, tough it out type of stuff. But at the same time, like, you don't need to be an adult that cries when they bump their knee into a table. Like, there is a value to being able to endure certain discomfort and certain pain. But at the same time, uh, man, like, figuring out how to teach that to someone when you know very well that, like, you're perception of it all is skewed and informed by stupid narratives from movies or whatever is just like um it's it's hard to to sort out in my own mind and to know like you know like every single time i am correcting my kids saying like okay you know this isn't really something you need to cry over like there's a voice in the back of my head that's like you know am i teaching my son to you know, that it's not okay to cry. I, I tried to counteract that with an explicit narrative saying like, it's fine to be upset. It's fine to cry and express yourself, but you know, you need some perspective on what things are, are worth that level of emotional upsetness type of thing. But ah, man, it's a, it's a rough one to navigate. I, I can, I can, I can imagine. And I, I know this is definitely something I've and, and I, I should avoid diving too much into this and save a lot of this more for the fatherhood episode, but I, I, I'll, I'll preface in, in saying that yeah, I feel like I've encountered some of this in mentoring kids and uh, yeah, running into the same thing of like, how do I, you know, I want to teach them to toughen up and to be able to deal with like, especially with like bullying when it comes into like, there's, there's this really hard rift there with bullying of where on one hand, 
I want you to understand that, yes, people are going to say mean things to you in life, and you have to not take every ounce of it to, to heart. Also, though, we have to take this a little bit, you know, we, we also need to, you know, that isn't to excuse what the other person has said, and that isn't to say that you need to just be steamrolled over, like, it's, I, I don't know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a constant, every single time it comes up, it's like, a, wow, this is, it's hard to deal with, especially, I would say, not having the experience yet for, for fully dealing with it. Oh, yeah, well, and like with, I, I've mentioned before, and like with everything in dealing with mentorship or parenting, you know, particularly, um, you know, with younger children, you know, you're always fighting the uphill battle of having to teach them something simple and wrong, and then <laughs> later go back and correct that. And, um, you know, there are times when I'm just like, um, it, it's just so hard. I think that, like my default is generally like, um, to say like, you know, if you're, you know, you're going to cry, I, I want to, some, like, it shouldn't be, it should be something that someone would be concerned about. Like, like, I generally say, like, like something like, uh, you know, we are really hurt. <laughs> like, in that sense, like, like, there should be blood, or there should be obvious injury, or like, but like, at the same time, it's like, that's also like, so fuzzy. And I can definitely like see how that could be taken to a point where it's like, um, oh yeah. So unless you like break your leg, don't come crying to me about your like that. Like, but it's so hard not to come off that way when, you know, your kid, you know, bonks their, you know, knee for like the third time in a day. And it's really just like, you know, that they're okay. You know, that they're not really hurt and you're just tired of them being reckless with themselves. And you're just like wanting to stop hearing the screams of children. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's hard to, to keep that consistency going. I mean, that's just a struggle of parenting in general, uh, which obviously we'll get into. I don't want to get too deep into this well, but. There's always the, the terrible option that I, I think this is the last thing I have to share today, but uh, the terrible option that my grandpa, my, 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 my papa, grandpa, and my uh, mother's side, uh, when I was very little, he, I was doing the same thing. I was, you know, getting lightly injured and then bawling like crazy about it. And uh, I had like a bruise on one arm where I like bumped into the table and I was just going on ad nauseum about it. And he was like, well, you know, that when you get a bruise, that means you broke a bone, right? just stone cold tells me that every time you get a bruise that means you broke a bone and that locked into my head and i swear i was probably a preteen before i believe before i understood that having a bruise did not mean that i did not have a broken bone oh wow (laughs) (laughs) yeah that that is not the model i would recommend personally no no not at all Um, especially not if you have a child like mine my oldest is very information absorbent and very sensitive and will like he would absolutely lose his shit <laughs> if i told him that uh he would start freaking out and <laughs> i don't think he would believe me at this point i think he's old enough to go that's not true but um but man yeah that not not the not what i would recommend <laughs> Uh, do you have anything else to share uh, uh, this this week? Uh, I think that kind of taps me out. Yeah. Uh, about the only thing I can think of is like my own personal experience with this was um, having, you know, like I think everyone's kind of got their own story. And for mine, mine it was like um, as a kid, you know, I remember getting made fun of a lot for wearing the helmet um you know implications that like you know i'm not tough or left to be one of the big kids wearing their helmet uh and uh up until the point that i fell down and smacked my head on a curb while wearing a helmet my helmet split in half uh at which point that story was good enough to get me excused for helmet wearing uh and i think that that is um very indicative of the phenomenon we're talking about here of like, you know, that could have been my skull if I had succumbed to that as a child. Uh, So uh, I don't, you know, it's easy to take these kind of stories and say like, Oh, you know, these are 
little things about people trying to you know be you know macho or whatever and um you know putting out a lot of bravado or whatever but like these are not this is not consequenceless like thing like people die because of a lack of of taking themselves and their bodies seriously and safety precautions seriously so you know i would just say anyone who's you know you know in in one of those scenarios where you know maybe you're experiencing some social repercussions for wanting to take you know your safety seriously um don't get yourself killed because you want to appear you know masculine or whatever um it's not worth it it's just not worth dying to prove that you're a real man real men live (laughs) yeah it's yeah it, it's it's easy to di- it's easy to die. It is harder to live. Um, so yeah, that, I, I agree with you hundred percent. Like, don't uh, don't risk yourself for the sake of looking cool. When yeah, like you only get one life. And and honestly, uh, in in a lot of cases too, you know, we we focus so much on the 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 death portion of things, but. I can say, and I'm not going to dive too deep into this because this isn't a thing I like to dive too deep into, but. I've seen a lot of instances in life of things that were much worse than death, uh, ways of living from taking unnecessary risks where you're trapped in a terrible state for the rest of your life. There's a lot of things worse than death out there. So yeah, take care of yourself uh, and and do that over the feelings of others. Like if people want to put you down because you care about your body and existence like that's unreasonable new friends yeah get new (laughs) friends those people aren't your friends yeah but well uh thank you all for joining us this uh afternoon morning evening or whatever time of it is wear your seatbelt, wear a mask if necessary get vaccinated for the love of god get vaccinated thank you all